This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. We made it to the very, very, very top. Peter refuses to stand up. He's crouching in fear. I, I'm not refusing to stand up. I'm taking my time, Heather. There's a difference. Where, where are we right now, Heather? We have just climbed about a million steps in a la- ladder after ladder after ladder. We're almost to the top of the spire of the Trans-America Pyramid. I am loving it. Peter is not. I hate this shit. <laughs> but it has a look of terror. I'm more scared of Heather making fun of me than the climb... We are in a space that's like eight feet by eight feet at the top of the pyramid. How tall are we from the ground, do you think? Not as high as you think. No, no, no. How tall? It's 853 total. We're 10 feet below. 840 feet. Whoa. I'm Peter Hartlob here with Heather Knight, scared shitless at the top of the Transamerica Pyramid. And this is Total SF. Hello, Heather Knight. We just heard me and you at the very, very top of the second tallest building in San Francisco, which I handled with my usual grit (laughs) and courage. Did you? Um, I have a fear of heights, Heather. Why are we always dangling off the edge of (laughs) 853-foot structures for this podcast? We are committed to our listeners, and we will do anything to bring them a good story. I'm with you. Sutro Tower was definitively scary. But the Transamerica Pyramid was just fun. And um, I don't know if I would say grit and courage when describing how you behaved. <laughs> I would say nervous, anxious, whimpering. Whimpering. See, that's the word. That's where I stop you. <laughs> I was not whimpering. You put that out on Twitter. I was not whimpering. <laughs> I was cautious. I was. You were turning green. I was not turning green. All right, let's move on. This is our Transamerica <laughs> Pyramid episode, which was incredible. We got to go to the top. We also got to sit down with Michael Chaveau, who owns multiple skyscrapers in New York and San Francisco. He bought the pyramid during the pandemic and has a big bet that downtown San Francisco's coming back. Yeah, he was great to talk to. We got to attend a ceremony beforehand where he was celebrating the 50th birthday of the Transamerica Pyramid. This is the first transfer of ownership that the building's ever had. He's put a big, nearly $1 billion bet on this complex with um, a year ahead of rehabbing it and making the park around it a lot more welcoming and enlivening it with restaurants, seating, cafes, music. So lots to come there. And it was great to talk to him. Yeah, I I was prepping for the interview and all the New York stories that have been written about him were headlined like Michael Chaveau is the bad boy of real estate. And I I think I texted you at one point. I'm not sure if this is going to have the fun loving total SF vibes. I could not have been more wrong. It was a great interview. He brought out these photos of him at the pyramid as a kid and a little drawing that he wrote of the pyramid when he was like eight or nine years old. Excellent interview. And even before we went up those 700 ladders (laughs) to get to the top of the pyramid, I had a great time. Me too. Love the interview. So after the interview, we took the elevator up to the 37th floor. And from there, you could look straight up into the spire of the pyramid, which from there is just all ladders, like 
precisely one billion ladders up <laughs> to the top that we had to climb that were straight up. It was like you look up at the pyramid. I didn't even know this existed. Like I didn't know this was part of San Francisco and we've been covering San Francisco for years. Um, you look up, it's like an MC Escher print. I mean, it's just ladders going in this weird circular and, and then you get to the top, and I swear, it's smaller than your closet, and you're at the very top of the pyramid looking out. Yeah. Uh, indescribable and one of the most unique experiences as a Chronicle reporter, uh, hosting this podcast, everything. Me too. When they said um, in the lead-up that they would take us up to the top of the spire, I was like, oh, that's cool. Surely there's an elevator that goes all the way up. That's what I, I just thought we were riding a really long elevator. And then when you get up to the top, like you said, it's tiny. You can't even stand up all the way. You're just crouched down. There's room for a couple people, but you can see the whole city. It's glorious. And we, on the way up, we met a woman from New York who was brought in to try to design some lighting for the new tower, which will be ready in about a year. So you know how the Salesforce Tower has a really cool light show on the top. She's trying to think of what can be done with lights on the Transamerica Pyramid, which be awesome. Well, a lot to look forward to. We'll share some of those photos where I am not whimpering uh, <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, we talk with Michael Chavot about his first time seeing the pyramid as a kid, his thoughts on the San Francisco versus New York rivalry, and we'll ask whether the pyramid will get a new name since Transamerica is no longer the owner. I'm Peter Hartlob here with Heather Knight, who is planning a podcast on the top of the Golden Gate Bridge as we speak. Wait, can we do that? And this is Total SF. Thank you very much. Michael Chavot, welcome to Total SF and to the Transamerica Pyramid. Thank you. And welcome welcome to our, you know, welcome to our building here. We enjoyed just um, hearing your stories out in the park outside about the 50th anniversary, and you mentioned that you actually saw the pyramid for the first time as a kid and showed a picture of that with your drawing. Can you talk a bit about what it was like to see that, how old you were, and what your impression was of this masterful building? Sure. So, you know, I, I grew up in Israel, born in 1972, just like this building, actually 30 days apart. The building's older. Um, but I came first to the United States in 1978. The first time to San Francisco is 1979. And when I, my parents who were teaching in, in, in Israel and then came here to work at Stanford and Yale on a sabbatical brought us here to San Francisco. And I clearly remember, you know, the great sights of the Golden Gate, Golden Gate Bridge, the cable cars, and of course, you know, the Transamerica Pyramid. Um, I was here at the base of the pyramid together with, with my parents and my sister and there was something that, that, you know, that, that the moment seeing these type of buildings, seeing, these, seeing the future in that sense, truly changed, uh, changed me and changed kind of what I wanted to do in life. I always had this dream of coming back to the United States, even though in the 1980s, we went back, 1980, we went back to Israel. There was a drawing that I showed that says, my name is Michael Chabot, I want to be a professor, but there's a picture of me next to the Trans-America <laughs> Pyramid. That's 1981, wow. January 1st, 1981. Which it, it, it really kind of summarizes, uh, um, you know, my childhood, right? My parents had, had one vision of where they wanted me to end, and I just had this American dream. I wanted to come to the United States. I wanted to be part of this bigger thing. By no means in 19, 
you know, 1979 did I ever think that I will be the owner or the custodian of this amazing icon. But the Transamerica Pyramid and the great sites of New York and San Francisco is what drove me eventually to move back, to move to the United States um, in 1995. Mm -hmm. Did you always have a fascination with skyscrapers as a kid? My parents, you know, as I said earlier, my parents tortured us. They used to take us everywhere to see buildings. It would be <laughs> to, 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 to buildings, to churches, to, to synagogues, to any, to any any piece of beautiful architecture. My mother and my father used to drag us. And as a kid, you know, you're bored out of your mind. <laughs> but later, in later years, you can appreciate the foundation that it gave me, particularly, you know, maybe that's why I love great architecture. That's why, you know, we only focus on, on buying and developing super prime real estate um, because that is for me the, the, the most beautiful architect. It's, uh, it, the architecture, it's also the real estate that appreciates the most. So it, it goes hand in hand both on the business side and on the personal side, and love mm -hmm. for design and architecture. Have you ever lived in the Bay Area? So in 1978, we lived in Palo Alto. That is the closest right. we made it to, to, to the Bay. But we'd come here, you know, this was the weekend kind of, the, the, the big weekend trips would be to, uh, um, to San Francisco. You know, probably every couple of months we'd come down here. Mm -hmm. and it was a big event for us. Well, I, I work in the Chronicle Archive. I write a lot of archive-based stories. I've written about the pyramid. I, I actually scanned several of the photos here. These are Chronicle photos yeah. behind you. <coughs> and I, I was talking to Heather. I'm like, do you think he'll want to talk about the history? But then that was a big part of your speech today. You, you know a lot about the history of this building, which I, I feel like you can tell it as well as I can because people did not love this building when it came up. Well, that's, that's an understatement. I mean, people, people hated the building. Um, and, and, and I don't use that word lightly. Um, but, you know, it, it's, I always say that, that when you design or you do something unique, you normally trigger two emotions, love or hate. And by the way, that's a fantastic, that's a fantastic uh, uh, um, result. When we do something, I want people either to love it or to hate it, right? Because if you hate it, then you go elsewhere. But if you love it, you, from a business perspective, you'll want to be there. You'll pay a premium because you can't get in anywhere else. Transamerica Pyramid is no different, right? There were the haters and the lovers. Um, but the haters were, were mostly haters out of fear. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is different, right? It, it's, the, it's the break from the status quo. It's not something that they're used to. Who's used to seeing a pyramid-shaped building? But if you actually look at the reason for designing the pyramid and what it does for the city, there's not a single person that can tell me, not today, not 50 years ago, that building a pyramid building, which is what the whole controversy was about, is not better for the city than building another block building. You got better light, right? It's better for, for, for earthquakes, and it's something that identifies the city as opposed to yet another building, mm -hmm. right? There's, there are, now there's another taller building than the pyramid, but when you still identify the San Francisco skyline, you're not identifying it from Salesforce Tower. You're still identifying it with the Transamerica Pyramid. Um, but you know, M Mayor Brown has given some of the some of the history. There was a lot of uh, um, th there were protests on the street. Oh yeah, there. Were, I have a I have right here pyramid protests. Someone in a dunce cap that's shaped like the pyramid. Uh, I, I want to read you just, you read a couple of them um, in your wonderful speech today, but I, I want to read a few of, of the things that appeared in our paper. Our architecture critic called it authentic architectural butchery. 
Progressive Architecture magazine said uh, building this pyramid would be no less reprehensible than destroying the Grand Canyon. Um, There was a LA Times critic who said it's a dunce cap that adds 35% to its height. That's a reference to the fact that initially it was supposed to be over a thousand feet tall. Assemblyman John Burton said the pyramid would rape the skyline of San Francisco and virtually destroy the delicate beauty of Telegraph Hill and the Jackson Square area of the city. Uh, It's a front to San Francisco's greatest resource, its beauty. And then the hero of all this is Joe Aliotta, the mayor, who his own planning director turned on him. And he still fought for this all the way through, no matter what anybody said. He said, I don't wanna inflict another rectangular slab, ice cube tray building on the city. And then it gets built. And here we are sitting in it right now. Look, Aliotta was a visionary, right? He was ahead of his time. No difference in this building, no different than William Pereira. Um, And this building was ahead of its time in 1972. It's ahead of its time today. I mean, when you look at the skyline, you look at this building, you've never seen something else close to this design or built. There's very few buildings at this category. And they go from the pyramid to the Eiffel Tower and buildings that truly change and identify the skyline. Mm Um, and while we have a lot of beautiful buildings in New York, again, very few are as identified, uh, identifiable as the pyramid, mostly also because this very unique shape. Um, it's interesting that once the building was built, some of these haters went away. And today, well, I guess the Chronicle changed the critic. <laughs> because I think we now should officially apologize on behalf of the Chronicle. John King, our current <laughs> critic, loves the building. Yes. So. Then, and, and he wrote he wrote a beautiful piece. Um, I, I forget who it was. If, if it was, I, th- I think it was uh, um, somebody from the city told me today that they just had this discussion that they should probably do a formal apology <laughs> uh, um, for 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 the negative uh, um, negative uh, uh, reactions and negative comments the city and, and people had for the building. But it's okay, you know. I mean, we welcome that because, like I said. If everybody said they liked it, that means it was not special. It wouldn't be ahead of its time, mm-hmm. right? You can't be everything to everybody. And the, the, this is what separates people that want just status quo and are afraid of change and people that support change. We're still well, having those fights today in San Francisco about building anything. Do you think this is, should be a lesson for people who say the city should stay exactly the way I mean, I think, I think you heard a few people say today that, that including the senator, which, which, you know, I very much praise his words that, that, you know, it is necessary to go, you know, bold um, in order to make a difference. Um, San Francisco is obviously going through, you know, some hardship like, like other places. And it's only through doing special things. It's only do, through, through, through being um, ahead, of, ahead of the time we will again be able to rejuvenate San Francisco. Um, we're doing our share, and I think that, that you know, what we will do in this block will definitely reignite this entire neighborhood. I do believe that, that in two years from now, downtown will be a totally different environment, um, and mostly by, by bringing the people down to the Redwoods, bringing people down to the park. Um, but there is a need at a larger scale, right, in, in, in San Francisco and many other cities, really to, to figure out which buildings are great, which buildings are not great, what has to be repurposed, 
right? And, and it is going to happen. The good cities and the cities that, that, that are going to be the leaders in this are going to are going to be ahead of the curve on this, and some of them are going to be behind the eight ball because they haven't acted quickly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a tremendous amount of faith in San Francisco. Obviously, we, we have a billion dollars invested exactly where we're sitting right now. Um, I wouldn't do that if I didn't have faith not only in this building and in this block, but in the long-term um, success and viability of the city. We'll be right back after this short break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And you bought this building in the peak of the pandemic when downtown San Francisco was pretty much a ghost town, and it's still far from coming back. What made you bet on office workers returning to the city? Look at what, what I went through to buy this building, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's a suspense movie. Look <laughs> at what San Francisco went through. I'm a big believer in, in work from work. And I do believe that people will come back to work, and they are coming back to work, right? And there's two ways to bring employees back to work. There's the Elon Musk way, which you come to work, if not, you're fired, which is one, one, one way. And, and again, I'm not criticizing any because that is, you know, people should come to work f- from the office. On the other hand, you have other companies that are trying to lure their employees and convince them to come to work. For those type of companies, buildings like the Transamerica Pyramid are there to help them lure the people back, right? Because the, the reality is, if your office environment is better than your home sitting in your pajamas, you're going to come to the office, mm-hmm. right? And, and that is our job as owners of, of, of prime real estate, not only in San Francisco, in each market, to help our tenants use their office space as a recruitment tool, as a tool to bring people back to the office. Um, while people are talking about issues, and, and there's definitely issues with the office market as a whole, mostly because there's a lot of inventory that should not exist anymore, you know? The difference is the invent- there's a lot of inventory that shouldn't exist, but now after COVID, people woke up and realized that these are expired inventory. It's like having you know, a carton of milk in your refrigerator. Now it expired, but you haven't opened the fridge to see. And now you open the fridge and you saw it expired, so you need to figure out what to do. That is exactly what ha- what's happening with B building and C building uh, stock mm-hmm. all over the country. Now people figured that they've expired and they're trying to figure out what to do with them. The, 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 the buildings that are fresh, the buildings, the A building, this building like Transamerica, not only has seen growth, I mean, we're seeing rents that are double what they were pre-COVID. Really? I'm seeing more activity in this building that, than this building has ever had. What's your approach to renovating a building that's already an icon? What, what do you do to make this better and, 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 and use that as a path to what's going on in this building right now with the renovations? You know, when you start with an icon, you have, in one, in, on one hand, you have an easy road. It's already an icon. On the other hand, you have an extremely difficult task because on one hand, you have to make sure that you respect the architecture. On the other hand, you want to bring the building to the next century. You want to... You, you want to make sure that, that, that we do all the things you need to do in order for this building 
there'll be a building that goes into the next 50 years. So at the ground plane, well, you know, obviously the redwoods are historic, we're keeping them there. We're renovating all the, the ground planes, all new storefront, all new retail. Basically the entire block will feel, feel like one cohesive block as opposed to three separate buildings, right? You have the pyramid, two Transamerica and three, and the park in the middle. They will all feel like one cohesive block with, as Norman Foster said earlier, with the red work spilling on to the, to the perimeter of the buildings all around these three assets. Um, the lobby of the pyramid will be brought back to the original height. This is what, you, what you've seen here um, when you walk into the lobby uh, before the renovation is not the original lobby. Yeah, they covered it, the they covered the beautiful um, I don't know spider you, webbing. I don't you, know you've what you had, call that. You've had probably you know six different renovations at least, if not more, and lay, it's, it's like peeling an onion, right? Mm -hmm. There's layer after layer after layer of 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 what I would say bad design that was here. The ceiling was every time dropped again and again and again. We're raising the ceiling all the way to those cross beautiful cross beams. Um, so if anything, we're exposing the brilliance of William Pereira by bringing it really to, by, by peeling the onion and bringing it back to the original design. We've also find out, found out that the landscape architecture um, that was originally designed here was not fully executed. As Norman said, there were cherry trees that were supposed to be in the park. We have the original plans. Transamerica never finished planting everything that was supposed to be here. So we're actually going ahead and using that landscape plan and planting the cherry trees and, and, and truly completing what Pereira and Transamerica started 50 years ago. Hmm. You, you talk about that and I think that's interesting because I thought when I read the initial articles that you bought a building, but so much of this is about the space around it. And that park filled with redwood trees is beautiful, but it's not a place that like Heather and I go to hang out. Not yet. Um, <laughs> we it's, will. It's like a smoke break place, or like it, it'd actually be a good park if you were having an affair and you didn't want anybody <laughs> to see you. How do you make this area hot again? How do you make it so that people want to come down here and just hang out beyond filling this building with office but workers? Filling the building with office, while we obviously have, will have, and have office tenants that will use the park, that is just you know that's a that's a that's a side effect, right? Mm -hmm. Um, when I came here in 1979 to the, and, and stood at the base of this building, um, my parents brought us here and brought us here to the park. Um, but today, you were not really, people were not coming to the park. As, as you said, it's not, there's, there was not, nothing really to do here. Um, but yet the Transamerica Pyramid is the most iconic building in San Francisco and from every corner of the city, people are snapping shots of the building. Our goal, is to, is to bring people to the pyramid, to bring people to the park. We're doing that by programming the entire block, right? Curating different retail outlets, and it's not about who's paying more or less money, we, we truly don't care about that. It's about who's the right ice cream shop, who's the right coffee shop, which one are the right restaurants to bring you, what's the right retail to bring you, and we're working with those um, outlets to bring them into here to create truly life around the park, right? Because at the end of the day, while you and Heather don't hang out here, if there's a great place to have lunch here uh, um, or to have coffee here and you could sit in the Redwood Park, 
you'd be coming here. It's nicer yeah. to have coffee in the Redwood Park than, you know, in a coffee shop. Oh, we want to get away from work. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get us wrong. We just... But, 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 but you, need, you need the foundation, you need the environment. So the beauty is that we have, we have the bones, right? Now it's our job, and I take this, you know, very seriously. Our job is to bring life and to breathe life into, not only to this, to this block, because what we will do here is a catalyst for all of downtown. Well, this is a really tough question. San Francisco and New York have always had a rivalry, and you own huge buildings in both. So which one is the better city? <laughs> Why is there a rivalry? <laughs> I, I, you know, there's, there, there's, you know, there, two cities that probably could not be further apart, not just <laughs> geographically. Uh, um, there are amazing things in New York. There are amazing things in San Francisco, and there's things in both New York and San Francisco that I'd be I'd be happy to change. But I don't think those two cities are mutually exclusive. Um, there are, like I said, the, the there is no true competition as I see it, um, and it's hard to say. But I said to somebody, you know, th- there's no real favorite child. But at the end of the day, we own the Transamerica Pyramid. So, you know, that's a... I'm taking that that's as a hard, San Francisco is the answer. That's a, hard, that's a hard question because my kid here is really successful and really famous, and I'm really proud. Have you gotten a chance to kind of rediscover the city a little bit? You were here as a young child, and I know you're real busy, but do you get to walk around a little bit? So I'll, so I'll, tell, I'll tell you an interesting story. So um, yeah, I work nonstop, as you can imagine. Um, forgot what it was probably a year ago I was in San Francisco and you know I mentioned I'm, I'm a religious Jew so on, on the Sabbath I don't drive I don't talk I don't speak on the phone I don't watch TV and I was here actually with Norman Foster on a Friday presenting um, three Transamerica to um, to the city and I could not make it on time to New York so I stayed here I, I try to make it a point to be in New York with a family for, for Shabbat so I was in San Francisco. I said, okay. So I'm alone here. My kids, my family is, is, is back in New York. I said, okay, I'll go out for a run. I took a five and a half hour run in San Francisco. I went all the way. When I said, I've seen every inch of San Francisco <laughs> running there. But this down from here, the Fisherman Wharf to the Presidio, Golden Gate Bridge. I mean, I've done it all, the, 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 the museums, five and a half hours. I think I couldn't walk two days after that, but I've seen more on that run than I've ever seen in San Francisco, which is really fascinating because it's something I love doing, uh, particularly when we go travel. You know, I'm, I'm a go take a run and, and see uh, um, and see the city. It's a great way to explore. The issue in San Francisco, running up and down the hills. Oh yeah. <laughs> I underestimated the power of the hill. Just go back and forth on the Embarcadero. It's nice fine. and flat. It's a nice, nice run there anyway. No, but I, I, it, it was amazing because literally I went all the way to Golden Gate Bridge, all the way up at, at the Presidio, all the way up those hills. And it's interesting because when, when you run up, the temperature drop is unbelievable. I mean, <laughs> yes. you go from the, the – it, it's so much cooler on the top. Um, but it was a great way to see the city. And, you know – I, I rode the cable car yesterday with my Aww. daughter. Oh, good. We're um, big cable car fans. We're, we're I, pro cable car. <laughs> I'm totally pro cable car. It's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's part of, look, it's part of the essence of San Francisco. Um, and by the way, the, 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 the guy that was 
uh, driving the cable car. He was so proud of his job. He's been there for 25 years. I mean, it was, and, and truly, probably knew half the people that got on the cable car by name because they're there every day. Aww. Yeah, we have, we have friends on the cable car, and uh, it's been, you know, it's a great story, too. That's another one that people wanted to get rid of the cable car, and we had to fight to get those And the Chronicle was on the wrong side of that as <laughs> yes, well. So we're very embarrassed. <laughs> the Chronicle botched cable cars <laughs> and Transamerica Pyramid. It's okay. Well, I, I got, uh, this is the toughest question I'm going to ask you today. Uh, she asked me already in New York, San Francisco. She said <laughs> yeah, that's a tough question. Yeah, we're going to get you, you in take- trouble before this is over. <laughs> um, when you bought the Transamerica Pyramid, you were the second owner, which I think is amazing. The parent company or whatever has been owning it this whole time. They built it. Yeah, yeah. So 48 years, any plans to change the name? No. No? Okay. It's not going to be the Schwo Pyramid? <laughs> no. You know, there's certain things you don't change. This yeah. is the Transamerica Pyramid. Like the Chrysler Building is a Chrysler Building, right? Chrysler hasn't been there forever. Yeah. Right. The GM is a GM building. There, there are things that you don't change. Um, the Transamerica Pyramid will always be the Transamerica Pyramid. You think about it as a company, but it, it is an inherent part of, the, of, of this building. It's yeah. part of its DNA. Well, you've saved me having to run to my laptop and write a story about... (laughs) That um, was the right answer. Yeah, that's the right answer. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a lot of fun to talk to you. It's a pleasure. Yeah, and welcome back to San Francisco. Thank Um, you. you, If you have family photos of yourself by the pyramid when you're eight, nine years old, then then your grandfather didn't urinate it. Thank (laughs) you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time and thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Our music today is from the Sunset Shipwrecks, Castro organ player David Hegarty, and cable car bell ringing from eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by investing in a digital Chronicle edition. It's less expensive than you think at sfchronicle.com pod. <laughs> Loved it. I missed that so-